From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. Colorado Snowpack is singing. Right now we're in really good shape. We have the biggest snow month still to come, late February through the end of April. And if we continue on this path, we should have a pretty good set of water stories to talk about this spring. Now, it's going to take many of these types of winters to reverse the loss of water that's happened in Powell and Lake Mead. Our regular climate and weather chat with Denver 7's Mike Nelson. Then, in Colorado Springs, the mother of an LGBTQ child at odds with the school district. I started crying and hyperventilating, and I realized that what I was feeling was fear. A great amount of fear, being the mother of a queer child, and I haven't been allowing myself to feel that. Thank you for supporting CPR. Every day, your membership is put to good work serving communities across our state. You ensure that news and music remain freely available to Coloradans everywhere. Your generosity helps make it all possible. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Ryan Warner. Metro Denver saw record snowfall for January this week, although it wasn't the snowmageddon some were braced for. Well, now it's southeast Colorado's turn with a winter storm warning in effect starting this afternoon. As always, we are left to wonder what the interplay is between weather and climate. It's something we navigate each month with Denver 7 Chief Meteorologist Mike Nelson. Hi, Mike. Happy New Year, Ryan. Happy New Year. Often we ask how climate change affects the quantity of precipitation, but I'm curious how it might affect the quality of it, because some of the recent snows have been heavy and wet. They've reminded me of spring storms. Is a warming climate changing snow? I think the answer to that is yes and no, and I don't mean to be vague about that. (laughs) I mean, snowstorms are weather And winter is a season, and so even with a warming world, we will still have cold and snow because climate and weather, as we've talked about in the past, are different things. But I would probably say that these atmospheric rivers that have been in the news battering California Mm. have a pretty good chance of being made stronger because as the world gets warmer, the atmosphere can hold more water, and so when you do get that weather pattern... You're likely to bring more moisture on shore. The storms that we have had recently have been Pacific storms. Unlike the one we had just before Christmas, we had that Arctic front that was really, really cold. These Pacific storms come in and they're warm storms. They have a lot of moisture with them. And so you'll get that wet, heavy snow. Explain why warmer air is often moister air. Well, the amount of water vapor that can be held at a given temperature is greater when that temperature is higher. Okay. Thank you for that. You mentioned the atmospheric rivers. California and other states on the Pacific coast have really been battered by them, dumping dangerous amounts of water on the western U.S. Uh, They've also helped replenish reservoirs, quench the drought. I read a report that these sky rivers are common, 11 occurring on any given moment. So to be clear, are these intensifying or changing with a warming planet? They are common and they have occurred for 
essentially ever that we've had weather. But it makes sense that as the world gets warmer and the atmosphere can hold more moisture, we'll see an increase in the intensity of these when they do occur. I'll say that the latest drought map for Colorado is out. And it reminds us that a year ago, 88% of the state was in moderate to exceptional drought. Now that's just over 37%. So much better and wetter conditions for Colorado today. I will say drought conditions are stronger on the plains right now, with much of the high country, though, and western slope out of drought. It's wonderful. And I'm just looking at the latest snow water equivalent map of the state, and we are right now at about 125% of average snowpack across the state. The only river basin that is a little low is the Arkansas over southeastern Colorado. Mm-hmm. Every other one is above 100%, and in some cases, 150%. But the storm that's hitting today is going to hit hardest over the southeast plains. We'll get a little snow out of it here, not as big as the one we had the other night. But that's good news because even our southeastern plains are going to be getting more moisture. So it's been a wonderful winter, although I know an awful lot of people are tired of having snow on the ground. I'm thinking of our friends in La Junta, in Swink, Colorado, in Rocky Ford. Now, uh, back to this storm that hit Metro Denver this week. You know, I saw predictions of like up to a foot, and we didn't really see that manifest. Can you talk to us about the trickiness of tracking this type of weather? Even after 45 years in meteorology, I am still impressed with the fact that Despite all of our technology and the high-speed computers and the really wonderful computer models that we have, a storm that comes in with all kinds of vim and vigor and hits the West Coast takes a punch, and uh, it's weakened as it moves over the Cascades and the Sierras, but still pretty potent. Then it has to go over the Wasatch Mountains, and that takes another little bit of energy out of that storm. But it's still pretty good. It's easy to make it snow in our mountains. I mean, you got to push that air up the hill, and it, it drops the moisture. But still, even today, I'm amazed how a storm finally staggers out of the mountains onto the eastern plains of Colorado and how it sort of reinvents itself and dumps snow in certain areas more so than others. And the one that we had the other night did that exact thing. It kind of came out in a couple of different pieces when it came over the mountains, re-intensified eastern parts of the Denver area, most of northeast Colorado, certainly received every bit that we were expecting. But it took it a little bit of time as it was moving along the I-25 corridor before it kind of got its act back together. Hmm, I see. Okay, to this idea of snowpack as a reservoir, really a, a water battery for Colorado. As it melts, It supplies water for farmers and the Colorado River, which 40 million people rely on. Uh, There are other factors that affect snowpack, like dry soil and timing of the spring melt. Do we know now if this snow will do much to charge that water battery in the spring? We're in much better shape than we had expected to be in because a La Nina winter, which we are still in, as we've talked about before, tends to favor the northern mountains over the central and southwest mountains. And this year we've had a great snow for the central and southwest mountains. So right now we're in really good shape. We have the biggest snow months still to come in uh, late February through the end of April. And if we continue on this path, we should have a pretty good set of water stories to talk about this spring. Now, it's going to take many of these types of winters to reverse the loss of water that's happened in Powell and and Lake Mead. Mm. But this certainly is better than it could be.
2022 will go down as the fifth warmest year on record globally, according to NASA. Temperatures were 1.6 degrees Fahrenheit above the space agency's baseline period, which is from 1951 to 1980. Let's listen to NASA Administrator Bill Nelson. No relation. If our leaders, not only here, but across the world, do not act on this scientific data, our ice sheets are going to continue to melt. Our oceans will become more acidic. Extreme weather will intensify. Mike, is there any sign that the carbon emissions driving this warming are slowing down? Unfortunately, no. They're still increasing by about 100 million tons of carbon put into the atmosphere every single day from the burning of fossil fuels. And coming out of the pandemic, it appears we've gone right back to increasing the amounts in parts per million by about two and a half parts per million per year. So we're not going in the right direction. Uh, Our leaders have to understand this is not like there's a, a pot on the stove that's boiling over. This is the house is on fire, and we really need to take strong action as quickly as possible. Mike, thanks so much. Thank you. Mike Nelson is chief meteorologist at Denver 7. He joins us monthly to talk about Colorado's weather and climate. When we come back, an educator in Colorado Springs fights for equity in schools. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. If you want to name a mountain in Colorado, where do you start? What is the state's most iconic food? Why does Pena Boulevard have a bike lane? And does anyone use it? These are the kinds of Colorado questions we've gotten and answered in the past. I'm Corey Jones from the CPR Newsroom, and we want to hear from you, too. Ask your question at CPR.org slash Colorado Wonders and help us all discover more about our state of wonders. Registration opened this week for free universal preschool in Colorado, something we discussed with Governor Jared Polis, who made UPK a priority in his first term. A parent can choose between many options, and it can even be one that's near your work as opposed to near where you live. Maybe you want to drop off your kid close to work. So all those options are available, uh, school districts, community providers. Starting this fall, four-year-olds get 15 hours a week free. Some qualify for more. Well, our education reporter Jenny Brundine is working on a story and wants to hear from folks who've applied. She has a lot of questions. How many hours are you requesting? Are you optimistic you'll be matched with a provider you want? If your child gets into preschool, what will it mean in your family's life? And of course, let us know if there's more you want to know about UPK. So head over to CPR.org to share your experience and yes, your own questions with Jenny. Depending on the school, depending on the district, equity and inclusion are handled very differently. And that is the focus of Systemic's new season, CPR's podcast about challenging the status quo. Let's listen to this second episode of season two now. Creator, host and producer Joe Erickson follows Naomi Lopez as she tries to steer her local school board toward more equitable policies. Lopez is concerned her gender-fluid child is a target because of some board members' anti-LGBTQ comments. Naomi is a single mum of a preteen and works as a speech-language pathologist in Colorado Springs, District 11. 
she's been in the district for the last three years of her 17-year career. Naomi works in an elementary school and middle school in the district. Are you ready to do, to repeat? Okay, we're going to do four. We're going to do letters and numbers. Are you ready? This child, who we'll call John, has a receptive and expressive language disorder. With help, he gets a little better. Every day, he finds ways to communicate with Naomi and his family. Okay, ready? DB101. DB101. Very nice. Let's try another one. We're going to do four words, okay? Yellow, green, red, purple. Yellow, green, purple. Oops, let's try again. Yellow, green, red, purple. So my position and experience educating every day is different than a classroom teacher. So I'm a specialist and I work with students specifically in the area of speech or language impairments. So that will range from students who are nonverbal, ranging all the way to articulation difficulties where I'm just helping students pronounce their sounds more clearly so that they can be better understood in the classroom setting and everywhere in between there. The 2021-2022 school year started as usual. Well, as normal as you can get with COVID and mass restrictions in the classroom. As a parent, Naomi was happy that her child was taking online school. District 11 began the academic year by gradually phasing in in-person classes, so there were many students still receiving virtual classes. But as an educator, Naomi is still meeting her students in person. She had a few new faces joining her program, but also said goodbye to other students as they didn't need the extra support and moved back into regular classes. At the beginning of each year, she assesses each student's needs. So for me, it's not getting a whole classroom up to par or past grade level proficiency in all areas. For me is, did I reach this student today? Did this student experience their own individual success because they can say their sounds correctly now or this student was able to make a friend today because he or she learned a new communication strategy to make friends or did this student actually be able to go home and answer their parents question what did you do today or did you have a good day at school and the student could actually say yes because they learned how to answer yes, no questions. For me, I am blessed to see them every single day that I go to work and get the opportunity to work with my students. And that is the beauty of being a speech language pathologist in the school setting. By November, Naomi settled into a new rhythm at work and home. But in the background, 
there were disturbing rumblings from parents and some school board members. Three new board members who didn't approve of the equity program were elected. The services of the equity program are important to Naomi's students. They provide resources that Naomi's department cannot. The equity team identifies students who need extra help and support at home and in their personal lives so that they can achieve their academic goals. Many of her students get assistance from the equity department. Maybe they need a special computer program to help with dyslexia or mental health resources, or maybe they just need a space to do their homework. So what happens in the future when the equity program is disbanded? What happens to those students then? So in early December, Naomi attended a school board meeting to find out what was going on. What she heard shocked her. We recently had a teacher here in a D11 elementary school explain to her students what DEI, SEL, LGBTQ is in her fifth grade class without the consent of parents. That is a problem. Parents expressed their disapproval when teachers talked about equity and LGBTQ issues to their children. And Naomi said that what she heard community members talking about at board meetings wasn't actually happening in District 11 classrooms. Later, school board director Juliot defended the district's equity policy and its work throughout the district. The equity department is ideally suited to support the equity work throughout the district and support equity teams in schools so that they can stay focused and be supported by our administration. Yes, the equity work should be filtered throughout the district, but this is someone who is dedicated to driving it. And if we take that away, I don't think we're gonna get the results we're hoping for. It's interwoven, integrated, and you have a person driving that. Naomi knows these people protesting equity policies. She knows these administrators. She sees them at the supermarket. They say hi to her in coffee shops. This is her school, her community. It all seemed a bit surreal. She couldn't believe that they would fight against the well-being of her child, of her students and her work. She kept telling herself. I just can't. <laughs> I can't. Oh my God. I cannot believe this is happening. Like, aren't you supposed to be like an adult? And aren't you supposed to be like a professional? And aren't you supposed to be like an administrator within the public school district? Like, what is going on? I happen to be a Latina who understands what it's like to have limited access or limited opportunities. And my families that I serve, parents of special needs students and access that they have to different resources. So I know how to provide extra supports or extra opportunities or to 
to give parents some resources because I am part of that experience. Naomi worries about what will happen if the equity department disappears. Without an oversight department, Naomi's concerned that the equity work will not happen and those gaps between low-income students are not going to be closed. There should be a place, a department that they could go to and say, I want to be educated on these things. And we should provide that because we're the ones who are educating our students. While the discussions around the future of District 11's equity program are playing out throughout December, Naomi has her own battles to face. When her child returns to in-person school in the last quarter of the school year, Naomi worries about how safe the culture of her District 11 school will be. So, I don't know if people want to hear this, but it's the truth and this is what's happening. My own child is queer. I'm so proud of her. She is such an amazing kid. And right now she's not going to school. In person, I have her doing online school. Um, She'll be going to middle school next year and... She is impacted by these things, and she's not even in school. I just can't imagine if my daughter felt that way, Um, especially based on what she's watching some of the elected leaders of her school district acting in those ways. So (laughs) I wasn't expecting to cry. Through the winter... The mood in District 11 schools was tense. Suddenly, there were whispers in the corridors, closed-door meetings, and people on edge. Educators were worried about the school board's desire to get rid of equity policies. Then, everything came to a head in the chilly early spring. After months of rumors and speculation, the superintendent abruptly announced his resignation. Along with this came the news that his flagship equity program would not survive. But that's just the start of things. News was spreading around the district over two individual school board members' social media posts. The post that everyone was talking about was from District 11's school board member, Jason Jorgensen's Facebook. He posted a meme about a pregnant transgender person. An offensive transgender meme posted by a school board vice president has heads turning in Colorado Springs School District D11. Some tell me they are speechless and others say it's outright horrific by a leader in education. This image depicts a trans person hooked up to an ultrasound machine with a doctor pointing to a monitor which shows poop. Parents and teachers I spoke with want some sort of accountability. The post sparked outrage and fury with many parents, including Naomi. Shame! Shame! Students protested with the support of groups like Inside Out, a youth service support group 
for LGBTQ communities. Naomi joined the outcry. We're here! We're queer! Get used to it! Get used to it! We reached out to Jason Jorgensen for comment and got no reply. After a full evening's protest, a tired Naomi said goodnight to her gender-fluid child and before her head hit the pillow, she managed to leave this audio diary. Deep breath in, deep breath out. What a day. So it is 11.23 at night on the 23rd of February. Today was a uh, historic day for me. It was my first protest. So the students of our school district saw social media posts and comments that were made publicly at board meetings by two board members. Both of them were transphobic in nature, and many of them were racist. Anyhow, we were standing outside in two-degree weather um, before the board meeting for half an hour, and it was powerful. I was expecting tonight to be sad and frustrating, but actually it was very invigorating. And I am so proud of all my students and my community for coming out and letting the school district know and the community know that it is not okay for board members to be bullying students, indirectly of course, but when we tell them that it's uncalled for and that we won't stand for it, they apologize and then they just keep doing it. Inside Out Communications Director, Lise Smith, who attended the protests, wanted to help young people as they strive to rid the school board of anti-LGBTQ comments. We created this open letter originally because we knew that we were in a position to comment on some recent actions um, that had directly affected our young folks. Lise read out some of the comments from the open letter to the school board their organization crafted with LGBTQ students. Freedom of speech on social media is extremely important. However, when you're in a position of power and you are talking about the certain rights of certain people being restricted or making fun of certain groups of people, then that becomes an issue, especially when you're in charge of children, who many of them fall under these categories. They should be here to keep us safe. Everyone is human. It does not matter if they are LGBTQIA2+. Do not disregard, disrespect, or apply any other negative enforcement to anyone. They are people, not any less or any more. Even though parents, teachers, and groups like Inside Out pressured the board to do something about the messages, school board president Parthmal Packham explained at a Q&A session with parents and educators that he couldn't stop individual board members from expressing their views on their personal social media. The negative attention that the district level was receiving that was because of some of the board members putting their foot in their own mouth, okay? I will come and say that 
publicly, there is only so much I can do from my role as board president. Each one of those board members come from very diverse views, and some of them, they are sharing it in their personal Facebook page, and they don't identify themselves as board members out there. He'd even consulted lawyers. So when I reached out to legal counsel as to what role we have as reprimanding a board member or any staff, what we were told is if the staff member too is posting something on their personal Facebook page and they are doing it on their own time on a Friday night or a Saturday morning and they don't identify themselves as a dealer and staff member, we have little that we can do in that regard. Naomi hoped for more, so she carried on the best way she could. Days after the protest, Naomi noticed the mood in the district was tense. Everyone was on edge. And Naomi suddenly felt alone and frightened. She had to face a new uncertain reality. This new climate of intolerance made her fear for her child's safety. I pulled up Facebook and saw some people commenting and sharing another transphobic post from one of our board members. And I literally lost it. I guess I would consider it almost close to a panic attack. I've had maybe one time or twice maybe had a panic attack in my life. But I started crying and hyperventilating. It was awful. Um, And I realized that what I was feeling was fear. A great amount of fear being the mother of a queer child, and I haven't been allowing myself to feel that because uh, I guess it's just a lot. And um, I just felt so isolated and so alone, and I thought there must be other parents out there that have felt the same exact amount of fear that I was feeling in that moment, totally not in control of being able to keep my child safe from the constant ridicule and target that people at large just feel like they have to talk publicly on social media about how they feel about it all, you know? And that's not who my daughter is. She's not here for someone else to judge and and assess and and com- make commentary about you know like she's a human being and she's my child Naomi wasn't alone in her anxiety over leadership's transphobic comments students from the LGBTQ community felt like the comments made targets of some students. One student, who wanted to remain anonymous out of fear of bullying or backlash, explained hateful rhetoric 
especially from leadership, can cause intense pain for LGBTQ students. It puts them in danger, both physically and mentally. It exposes them to a wide community of people who are hateful. It, it's just terrible to target someone and to put them on blast like that. I've heard that a lot of people probably feel hopeless when that happens because they feel like everyone's against them. I've heard that people feel scared because of what could happen to them, the dangers that that brings, both mentally and physically. By March, Naomi's stress has only increased. Her child is about to go back to in-person classes. Uh, my fears as a mom for my daughter who is gender fluid and queer. I have this sense of panic. It's just... other parents feel this way? Do they? I fear that someone will be so afraid of her because she's different in a way that they're not used to that they might want to harm her. You know, I, I fear that. But that's, that's how I really feel. There's a lot of fears. It's been a tough semester. Everyone was looking forward to the spring break. Taking a step away from the routine of school created a sense of calm, or so it seemed to Naomi. But the calm didn't last long. Sometimes, even if you deserve a break, Life has a way of reminding us that we cannot control everything. Sunday night, April 10th, and I am <laughs> getting ready for my first full week being back at work after taking almost a week off to go home for my grandfather's funeral and much needed time with my family. After spring break, Naomi suddenly had to leave for New Mexico. Her grandfather had just died. For Naomi, everything was getting on top of her. Something inside her said, I need to talk. <sighs> I think that I have a lot of emotions about it. Of course, I have the sadness. Um... I have shock, I have anger, <clears throat> but I need to go to work tomorrow. I have to go teach my kids. So I did my best today to uh, process 
how I was feeling. I cried a lot last night, and then this morning, I I know the way that I grieve, so I knew that today would be rough. Naomi knew she had to find a way to take control of her life. Every time she saw school board director Al Lorma's Facebook post, it sent her into a panic. She was seeing posts like this one. If you're okay with a 12-year-old girl having her breast amputated because she would rather wear hoodies than high heels, you might have been brainwashed. She imagined, what if this was aimed at her own child? She was feeling powerless. It's been a very challenging, um, very, very, very challenging couple of months. I was at work when I received uh, a text from a friend who had screenshotted it and sent it to me. And I lost it and I started to cry. I got sick to my stomach and I think it was just... My fears just all came spilling out at my desk right before I was about to go pull another group of students for their speech therapy group. So as a result of that day and me um, reaching out to my administrator about the troubles I was having, I decided to file a formal complaint as to the fact that I have been feeling unable to focus at work and feeling unsafe and watched um, based on some comments that board members had made to me and the continued attack publicly of trans kids in the public media and in social media from board members. I asked board member Al Lorma to talk about his social media comments, but he declined. Maybe her grandfather's death was the catalyst that pushed Naomi to file a complaint against the actions of two school board members. Or maybe she was tired of being afraid. Somehow, she took the steps to reclaim her life by filing a complaint with the school administrator. It was a big step. That's a first for me. I've never, and never in a million years would I have thought that I would have to make such a complaint and be in this position while at work. Once an employee discrimination and harassment complaint had been filed, there were several procedural issues that Naomi had to comply with. Firstly, she was not allowed to talk or have any contact with board members she filed a complaint about. This was hard, since it meant she couldn't express her views at school board meetings. When I go to board meetings, I... Even though I want to say something, I want to do public comment, I don't because I don't know if I'm allowed to do that. I don't know if it's going to hinder or counteract my complaint because in the instructions, neither party is supposed to have contact with the other person. So I don't want to get dinged for that. 
It's like my whole life has been put on hold just so that I can protect myself and my rights and my child's rights until the school district gets around to like finding someone to handle the complaint because they, the person who was in that department freaking quit. While administrators investigated her claim, Naomi continued with her life as much as she could. Toward the end of April, Naomi knew soon it'd be time to make another big decision. Her child was starting middle school next year. Should Naomi transfer districts to protect her child? I was going to have my daughter be in their classes because they're such phenomenal teachers. So I told my daughter, I've been thinking about looking at other school districts, seeing what their pay is, seeing what their board looks like, what their superintendent is like, um, just so that I know that I am going to be working in a school system that supports me and also taking my daughter with me so that I can know that she's going to be in a school system that supports her and champions her and where she doesn't feel threatened, where she doesn't feel like it's going to be a problem or afraid more than she already is transitioning into sixth grade. So I sat down with her and I told her, look, you know this work that mom is doing. There is a possibility we're fighting hard to make sure that all students have everything that they need. So if there is a possibility that the people that are in charge will not do what's right for the students, that I'm going to have to get another job at another district, and you'll go with me. Nearly two months passed and still no word. She waited to feel clarity on whether to apply for a job in another district and take her child with her. But as Naomi started to wind down her programs for the summer break, she received some good news. Amazing news. I actually went to work today and I found something in my mailbox. It was a card from the El Paso Council PTA who hosts the Crystal Apple Teacher Awards. Parents of one of my students nominated my name and donated money to the awards ceremony in honor of my name. I got a nice card from them and I got a pin that I could wear. It was, it was so nice to be honored in that way. You know, I, I have good relationships with my families and I have had many families share their, their gratitude and appreciation with me, which is always wonderful to experience. But for a family to go out of their way to find this organization and put in a nomination for me because they're thinking about me is really, really, really something. I've never been honored that way. Um, So I'm very grateful for that. And that was a wonderful feeling. As school closes for summer, Naomi still waits for news about her complaint. But she didn't receive a response to the investigation until late August. 
She waited a day before she told me. After receiving the news, she had to sleep for the whole day. She crashed from battle fatigue. When she did surface, she told me that the school said they found no evidence that Naomi's work was affected by the actions of the school board. She was shocked. How could this be right? I felt um, uh, the continued barrage of hate from one board member constantly coming, you know, coming to my awareness because people are saying, oh, look at this, look what he's doing now, look what this is happening. I lost it. Like, I literally had a breakdown at work. Naomi was very disappointed and felt let down by the system. There's a system in place. Thank goodness, thank goodness that we have protections within our employment. There's a, there's a system that you can go through when you have a complaint. So I did it. And I heard from people not to expect anything to be done. But I really didn't believe that because, I mean, I, I guess I kind of expected not like the best thing to happen, but I expected something to happen. I, I expected some kind of accountability, right? There are these systems for employees of the school district that the board members are exempt from. Where does she go from here? Well, she's still figuring it out. For now, Naomi is still working in District 11. Though Naomi is disappointed by the outcome of her complaint, she still continues to keep up the fight for equity and LGBTQ students. Naomi starts the new academic year with the news that the school board hasn't come up with a plan for how to address equity issues. And then, at the stress of attending school board meetings with the same members who continue to post transphobic memes and messages on their social media. It looked like the 2022-23 school year would be a tough one. But Naomi puts one foot in front of another. She will try to do what she can to help. She continues to do the advocacy work. She continues to hold the school board and administrators accountable. And she continues to request that the district prioritise closing equity gaps. She's trying to keep that equity conversation front and centre at board meetings. This is not a part of her job, but she knows if she doesn't do this extra work, her students will suffer. As for her child returning to school, well, she's still anxious. All Naomi can do is wait and see and hope her child is safe.
Joe Erickson is the creator and host of Systemic, CPR's podcast about challenging institutional injustice. Follow this and all of the episodes everywhere you get podcasts and at CPR.org. Thank you for joining us, and thanks to the Colorado Matters team. Tyler Bender. Carl Bielek. Anthony Cotton. Pete Kramer. Andrea Dukakis. Rachel Estabrook. Michelle Fulcher. Matt Hers. Michael Hughes. Chris Ketchum. Pedro Lumbrano. Patrice Mondragon. Shane Rumsey. Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. And I'm Ryan Warner with special thanks to Aaron Jones, Rebecca Romberg, Kibway Cooper, and Emily Williams. You're with CPR News and KRCC.